0: Thank you very much Paul for that and TJ as well and it is a real blessing for me and a privilege to be here with you. It's exciting for me, I'm a local lad just down in Shettleston and here I am coming across the border to Denniston. Maybe a wee bit dangerous but I should be okay. I hope I've got some friends here with me. It's lovely to come and speak to you about Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. So Jonah chapter 3, Jonah eh? What a book, and part of our problem really with this book is we don't properly grasp it because we just don't expect this type of story in the Bible. We don't expect God to write this story. We come with predisposed ideas and without knowing it, we bring our prejudices prejudices to the Bible. You might say, this book is ridiculous. I think God would say, That's the point. I'm Callum. Apparently my name means Dove, which is funnily enough what Jonah means. Dove has connotations of innocence, of of peace. So I am Dove, son of an Englishman. Don't hold that against me. But Jonah, God's anointed prophet, is Dove, son of Amittai. And already if you're a Hebrew, you're laughing because Amittai means faithfulness. You're supposed to laugh at this. Faithful. Jonah, the appointed man who won't do it. So God appoints a fish. It's not a stretch to say he also appointed a storm in chapter 1. And in chapter 4 we read the appointed man is bitter and ungrateful. And so God appoints a plant, a scorching wind, and a worm. It's supposed to make you laugh. Now Mark said in the 1990s when he was watching his VHS How old are you Mark? He he just didn't get it. He wasn't able to grasp the point where TJ said he'd kind of accepted it maybe childishly and he he didn't see the the ridicule. And now the more he looks at it the more disgust and annoyance he has with Jonah. (laughs) Me too. I want to condemn him. And then bang! Or tripped up. We're lying on the floor, God has got us, and suddenly we're cringing, and we're realising, oh no, I'm bitter, I'm running, I'm prejudiced, oh, I'm Jonah. We go from not being able to swallow the story, to ourselves being swallowed and spat out, and it's all for our benefit, all as an act of saving grace. You could say, We are being ridiculed by God to teach us, to shape us, to turn us around. So, chapter 3 of Jonah, let's read it together. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people And animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions. That they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with. And he did not do it. So we're thinking today under the heading, God empowers, Jonah preaches. Father, as we come to your word, we just pray that you would lead us. We pray for your Holy Spirit to Help us to really grasp that salvation belongs to you. That as we minister in any way, we need your spirit, your empowering. And that we need to turn to you, the God who reverses, the God who overturns. We pray you would lead us right now. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. So, guys... Hey, you're looking a wee bit comfortable there, a wee bit too sort of comfortable for me. A wee bit sleepy, maybe after that, closing your eyes for the prayer. So listen, I want you to get yourself moving a little bit. Actually, would you just, at home, I know you probably don't normally do this, but could you just stand up? We need to get some blood going to your brain this morning so that you can learn. Okay, I, come on, get up. I can see some of you are still sat down, reluctant maybe. Up you get, maybe just give yourself a little bit of a stretch this morning. Have you done that yet? Cause up to, put your hands up high, and that'll get the blood going up the way. Yeah, there's only one guy in here doing this. By the way, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Two now, now. Yeah, they should know better. They should. They should really know better. So while you're you're just suckling your arms, let me let me speak to you. So we're looking at at Jonah, the prophet who stubbornly didn't follow instructions. How were you at following instructions? There, some of you still on the couch. You're in Jonah chapter one, then aren't you? You're not listening to this new preacher, and you're not going to another. Did any of you follow the the instructions wholeheartedly? Even though uh, you didn't think you went, yeah, I'll do it. Or maybe you did what you were asked to do, but you did it halfheartedly. You followed the instructions. Against your will and your heart was turned away. You weren't aligned to the task's purpose. You went to Nineveh, but you sure weren't going to benefit from the experience. If that's you, you're Jonah chapter 3. Oh, Well, if you're still standing, you can sit down now. Did you notice the amount of times the word turn was used at the end of the passage today? Look at it at verse 8. Each must turn, verse 9, God may turn, he may turn, verse 10, that they had turned from their evil ways. Today, I want you to consider how aligned to God's sovereignty your heart is. What turns are needed so that you not only obey God, but you enjoy it and you're thriving in the obedience. So let's recap, because we're at Jonah chapter 3. What's been going on? Jonah, who is God's prophet, is told to get up and go to Nineveh to announce God's judgment. But he goes down to Joppa, down inside the boat, and down to sleep. Arise, says the Lord. Jonah goes down. This is a beautifully written story, full of contrast and some very ironic and seemingly ridiculous images. God said "Arise." Jonah goes down to spiritual sleep. And what he does is he misses out on people coming to the Lord, to Yahweh. The sailors in the storm of chapter 1 are in desperation. Which God's causing this spiritual storm? Who is it? Which God is jurisdiction here? And the man with the answers, the ridiculous prophet of Yahweh, is sleeping. And such is his spiritual sleep. The focus on self. The throw me in, I'm the problem. Kill me, kill me and you will stop this. Actually Jonah, why don't you just cry out? Why don't you just say you'll go to another? But why don't you just jump in yourself? Jonah, such is the spiritual sleep and self-focus that he misses the praise of Yahweh by new worshippers. I wonder if you're a bit like that this morning, missing out. Listen to the sailors at chapter 1, verse 14. This will help us as we look at today's passage. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased Look, like the pagan sailors get what's going on. They get the sovereignty of God. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows. Everything in this story is overturned. There's the wrong way round. The pagans turn towards Yahweh and worship. The prophet of God in disobedience turns away in sulks. Jonah is asleep to their acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Their fear and worship of the Lord. And they don't just say, oh yes, we now believe in Yahweh. Because real faith always shows itself in actions and transformation. Did you notice the sacrifice to him? Think on that. They didn't do that on the boat, did they? You don't set fire to things on a wooden ship. No, they now have an understanding of the true God beyond this storm. And Jonah misses out. He's so spiritually asleep, he misses the big move of God. And he ends up fish foaming. Well, are there areas in your life you're missing out on? because you aren't aligned to the way God is working right now, even in this horrible situation. Despite the turning away of God's prophet, God turns people to himself in chapter one. God does not need Jonah. God does not let Jonah go. And his purposes for Denniston and for Glasgow, God does not need you. God will not let you go. For surely he has called you for a purpose. Surely God wants to call people to turn to him through his church. Surely he will do that with your wholehearted obedience or without. TJ said last week, it might take us until we hit rock bottom. We may, like Jonah, even be the ones that take ourselves to rock bottom. It might take that before we discover God's been there all along. Align yourself to God. Recognise where you're at. Submit humbly and walk with him. Don't stubbornly stay where you are. Instead, call out to God. And this story teaches us that in his grace, we won't stay inside the fish's stomach in His grace, we will be um, eh, we will be vomited out. Jonah becomes fish vomit, fish vomit. All these little winks by the author and ridiculous images. <laughs> what on earth is God saying to us? What is He teaching us? Well, you can hardly believe that the big theological teaching point of the book would be in the line just before the vomit, but it is. The last words of Jonah's Psalm 90 in chapter two: Salvation belongs to the Lord. And this is our first, our major point: Who decides the destination of a soul? Who decides who responds to the call into the kingdom? Who is chosen? Me? You? Jonah? Salvation? Belongs to the Lord. Not to the preacher, evangelist or church member. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah said it and chapter 3 shows it. It's something we really need to learn. And it's something that Jonah needed reminded of again in chapter 4. Salvation belongs to me, Jonah. And sometimes we have the privilege of participating in salvation as we see in chapter 3. At times, though, uh, we're offended by who God saves. Would you have saved Jonah? Should a man who has persecuted Christians and taken part in their death be called to Tom and be chosen? Like well, Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the Great Evangelist? Should a 1990s Glaswegian knife killer be called to Tom and be chosen? That's Gary Brotherston, who is now the Reverend Gary Brotherston. Should the capital of the most brutal regime of its day, Nineveh of Assyria, enemy of Israel, Assyria known for skinning enemies alive and, and impaling them on a pole, should they be called to turn and then receive God's mercy? Well, Jonah certainly didn't want the citizens of Nineveh to be rescued. He wants them to be punished. Are there any people in Deniston? Are there any people, Deniston Baptists, that you think are beyond God, that shouldn't be being ministered to, that are not your type? God saw the Ninevites' actions, verse 10, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he threatened them with, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I know you're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah didn't want the citizens of Nineveh to be rescued. Would you? Who are you hoping gets divine punishment? Who is evil do you want to see divinely avenged? Not your own, I imagine. So, God loves your enemies. That's a provocative title, Mark. It's a bit of a mind messer. And yet, we know it was the teaching of Jesus: love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. The whole story of Job, Job, of Jonah is a mind job for us, but not as much as it is to the Hebrews to whom it was written. Concentrate here. Think on the other books of the prophets near the book of Jonah. God tells the people of Israel, through his prophets, that not only are they doomed for destruction because of their continual idolatry, but that it will come through the Assyrians. And here in this book, God is sending a prophet from Israel To announce judgment to the Assyrians so that he can show grace to the Assyrians. Show grace to the enemy of Israel who are in turn going to come and conquer the people of Israel. That's a mind messer. That is a mind job. What can really be said about this? God is sovereign. And his plan is different to ours. Aren't we discovering that? in these days. We might not like the big picture situation in which we are living. You might question the Lord. You might even accuse the Lord. But who does salvation belong to? If the coronavirus pandemic creates better soil in people's hearts and leads to the turning of people to the Lord, Should we question God's sovereignty if we're trapped in the house? We need to turn our hearts in prayer to God's will for the world, even if that just now seems to be bringing great heart. Now, of course, as Christians, we are supposed to be light to the world, and Israel's job was to be light to the nations, to be a priest to the nations. But instead, it became idolatrous and arrogant. Are we guilty of this? I'm sorry to say it, but Israel had a, and I say this in full knowledge of my vicinity to the Loudon Tavern, Israel had developed a we are the people attitude. We are the chosen and you are not attitude. And Jonah, this story, this story may be more than any other ...calls that attitude out. Church, learn this truth. Salvation belongs to the Lord... ...and he bestows it on who he wills. He is sovereign... ...so turn your hearts fully towards him... ...and his ways. Now, if you've got your head screwed on properly... ...that's all a great thing. Because as we take out the word of life to the people... ...it's not our work... It's God's work and it's God's empowerment. God empowers. We just preach and preach his message. So that is our first point. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And now we move on to God empowers and we preach. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message. Call out against it, the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and arose. He went up to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. According to what? The word of the Lord. Well, you're kind of hoping that Jonah's had a shower before he got there. Was he still lying on the beach when the word came again? Notice it's the same word as before in chapter 1. We are back where we started in chapter 3, except Jonah is further away. He's made it harder for himself. Now we can be forgiven our sin, but we don't escape the temporal consequences of it. Think of the consequences still for David and Bathsheba after repentance. But generally in the story, we're back at the start. And as we look at this next chapter, we see again, God is sovereign. It is his enabling, as it always is. That is the only reason that this mission is a success. Therefore, in our ministries, we must turn to God for empowerment. God's empowering is this next major point, this next section. So verse 2, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I Tell you. The empowering message comes from God, and at last Jonah does. At last Jonah obeys. At last Jonah is involved in the salvation of souls. His words are used by God to reach the city. God enables, Jonah preaches. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And with the shortest sermon in history, Jonah transforms the city. The people call out. They call for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. The king and the nobles hear the message and straight off they proclaim and publish a decree. No one, no one is to eat or drink. No cattle are even allowed to eat or drink. People have to put on sackcloth. In fact, even get a sackcloth on the cattle. Who knows? Maybe God may relent. Maybe he will turn from his anger. What an amazing preacher Jonah must be. Just seven words, five in Hebrew, and every citizen of the world's most brutal nation is transformed. They turn. No wonder wonder God wanted Jonah to go, despite his unrighteousness. What an amazing... I'm right. I'm right. Let's read verse 4. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of God, sorry, then the people of Nineveh believed God. This transformation is all about God. All about his power. All about his sovereign enabling. And in all our ministries, we must turn to God for empowerment. Collectively here as church and in our ministry in our homes. And with our colleagues and schoolmates and friends, or or should I just say online acquaintances these days? But this transformation is all about God, all about his power, all about his sovereign enabling. The teaching, amazingly though, is aimed at Jonah and thus the Hebrews and today church. Are we aligned with God's purposes? Or do we have places we won't go? People we rule out. So it's not, of course, about Jonah's preaching. It is about God's world. Let's be honest, if this sermon is all Jonah said and it is all we are told, then it is the worst sermon in the world. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished or overturned. Why, Jonah? By whom, Jonah? In what way? Jonah, not a mention of this, not a mention of this being a result of their evil or even that they should repent or that this is a message from the Lord. So short is the sermon and so missing as a character is Jonah in chapter 3 after verse 4 that we start to ask, is his heart really turned to the Lord? We'll check chapter 4 out for the answer to that. Now many commentators will say, well surely Jonah said more, and maybe that is the case. But nothing in the Bible is accidental. The author is making a point here. Quite likely he is saying, Jonah really doesn't want Nineveh to know the Lord's mercy. He doesn't want them to turn and be saved, and yet the Lord is still able. Jonah wants them to taste destruction. He might be obeying God, but is this prophet's heart yet aligned with a God of mercy and grace? It doesn't seem so. Again, like the sailors, like with the sailors rather, who is it that's missing out? It's Jonah. And yet, despite Jonah's hard-heartedness, God is able. Again, we are seeing that everything in this story is turned upside down. The prophet is arrogant, whilst the king of the most brutal empire is so humbled by seven words that he sits on ashes in repentance. Just what is going on? What is the Hebrew reader supposed to be thinking? What are we supposed to be thinking? The Lord says, Fully align with me and my word. Keep Turned towards me, work with me, abandon your prejudices and I will work through you. I will empower. This is the message of the book to the established religion of the day and to his church and to individuals in this day. I will empower as you preach or whatever your ministry is. God says, yes, you are my flock. You are my people, but only because I turned you. And I want to turn others who just now are outside the people, outside the flock and outside the kingdom. Are you with me? Will you accept my sovereignty? So there is our second main point. He empowers. We preach. And enjoyment in God is found in, in, in our alignment to Him. Will you accept His sovereignty? And He is so sovereign, so much so that the very words that Jonah preaches come true. In 40 days, Nineveh wasn't demolished, but it was overturned, which is another way of translating. The Hebrew. So our final point, God overturns. So turn fully to Him. Everything is certainly overturned, and everything is turning over. Look at verse 5 with me. The people of Nineveh believed God, they proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. Everything has changed sackcloth, a burlap type material showing sorrow, fasting, another outward show of an inside transformation like the sailors. Faith leads to change. Read verse 6. Everything is turned over. When the world reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. The king arises, he gets up, but when he goes down, unlike Jonah in chapter 1, he's completely awake to God. He turns from being a ruler on a throne to a ruler who sits in ashes. He sits on ashes, but as he does so, isn't his light hotter? Isn't his heart lighter Whilst contrastingly in chapter 4, Jonah sits under God's protection as miserable as sin. The king is an outward show of an inward humility. I might be the ruler, but I am not God. He takes off his clothes, his royal clothes, and replaces them with sackcloth. Can you picture the queen doing this? Or any world leader saying, I have sinned greatly and I am fallen human, totally dependent on God's mercy. This is a totally amazing transformation. Especially for the ancient reader. Kings never, never willingly show weakness. Contrast this king in our story to the pharaoh that is confronted with Moses in Exodus chapter 5. Kings never Show weakness, even when they feel it. But everything here is overturned. Read with me, verse seven in the first part of eight. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh, by order of the king and his nobles. No person nor animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must eat or drink. Sorry, they must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Everything is overturned. The king proclaims. This is no private religious experience. Everyone know that I, the king, proclaim our weakness before this God and therefore we must show repentance. We must turn. No food, no water, nothing but regret. Make sure even the animals are crying out to God. Everything is overturned. The brutal have relented of evil. Verse 8b. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. That can also be translated violence. Stop all evil. Stop all violence. This is the Assyrians saying this. And place your hope in God. That he may turn from his judgment. Of our evil. Oh, the brilliance of this story. Is that even in its main character's reluctance to prophesy to the people. To proclaim God's words. His words. God's words. Come to pass. Everything indeed is overturned. And throughout scripture we see God as the great reverser. Scripture is dripping with it. The first. Shall be last. God is completely sovereign. God overturns the heart of who He wills, even in our half hearted obedience. And God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster He had threatened them with, and He did not do it. Because of the Ninevites' actions, which showed that their heart had turned towards God. The same we know the sailors have turned to God as they now sacrifice to him. Their actions mean he spared them. So the very purpose of the threat of judgment, is not some angry God who's had enough, the very purpose of judgment, of announcing it, is to give the opportunity to turn to God. Is it not a great thing? When a wicked man renounces his ways, when he turns, is it not an amazing thing when an an enemy becomes a friend? Is there not great rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents and turns? Do you wish your enemies would just remain so? But Jesus announced in Mark 1, verse 14, it is time to turn. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, which means turn, and believe the gospel. My friends, do you need to turn today? Maybe turn for the first time to Jesus. Maybe turn back to Jesus. Or maybe you thought you were walking well with Jesus, but just something in this word has made you think you know, there's stuff I've not handed over. There's things I don't yet do. I don't let him in this area of my life. I can't tell you where you're at with God. But I can tell you, turn to God. Sadly, we know the Assyrian king didn't stay on the ashes forever. One day he got back on his throne. And the empire resumed its way. That is a danger when we think the gospel is only for us at time of conversion we forget we need to keep turning to God. We need to keep coming back to that cross. If we don't, then, instead of being grateful to God, we start to become entitled followers, believing we are sovereign over church. We are better than others. That we are the people. And we forget that this Christian life is a daily sitting in the ashes thing. It's a daily repentance thing with a sovereign God who directs us. It's a daily turn to him thing, which becomes a daily joy. But like that Assyrian king, we we keep getting back on the throne. So, is there any hope for us? Yeah, Yeah, God is gracious full of mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That's why another king got off his heavenly throne, took off his royal robes and stepped down into the ashes. He took on the form of a servant as a human, humbling himself to the point of death. You know his name, you just need to call out to him, Jesus of Nazareth, the only Christ of God. So my friends, call out today. What have we learned? We've learned today that God is sovereign in salvation and that is good. That he empowers us and we just need to preach and obey, having our hearts fully turned to him. And if we don't, we'll be Jonah miserable, missing out on the joy of the Lord. And we've learned that the Lord is the great reverser who loves your enemies He overturns, he's turning hearts to himself and invites you to participate. So don't be a runaway chapter one, Jonah. Don't be a half-hearted chapter three or bitter chapter four, Jonah. Surrender full control to the Lord and receive his joy. So turn your eyes towards Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Our Father, we give you thanks for Jesus. We give you thanks for this story. We give you thanks for salvation, that it is yours and yours alone. And we ask, Lord, that you would be calling people to yourself and that we would be willing, willing partners, What a privilege it is to work for you. Thank you Lord Jesus. Amen.